the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's called Bruised While Blessing. That's the title of our series out of 2 Corinthians here on Truth For Today. We find ourselves in Chapter 5. Make it a point to join us next. one of those Christian buzzwords, ministry, right? So what is ministry and what are the reasons for ministry? Well, these are questions we hope to answer for you over the next couple of programs here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church right here in Hercules. We welcome you to the broadcast today and would invite you to join us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. It's there that we catch up with Pastor Phil as we take a look at the reasons for ministry. I would like to say that uh, the next two Sundays we're going to be taking time out to emphasize missions and the different missionaries that we try to support and believe in. John Anderson next week, uh, representing the Bay Area Rescue Mission, uh, will be sharing. And at the same time, Katie Anderson... uh, who works for the ministry She is Safe, uh, will be sharing just a brief uh, 10-minute update on her efforts to rescue women uh, throughout the world. And so you're in for a treat to hear John and know the ministry of the mission down on 2nd McDonald and the whole Bay Area. And uh, then the next week after that, we're going to have Manny Fernandez of World Link Ministries and he's going to speak. And uh, we're also going to get a report from Clayton Hazel, hopefully on that Sunday, uh, his trip to Dominica, uh, to tell us what they met there, how they ministered there. and uh, You had a part in sending him there. And so he's going to give us a report. Uh, we're going to try to confine him because it'd take all week to hear all that he experienced in that time. I want to speak on uh, the reasons for our ministry. The reasons for our ministry. As you read 2 Corinthians, it is the uh, most heartbreaking of all the New Testament epistles because it's the uh, greatest conflict and personal rejection that Paul goes through uh, because he's talking to a church that has been invaded with a minority party that's trying to oust him, trying to get the people not to believe the gospel. He taught them. Uh, And the way they're doing that is trying to prove he's an imposter, that he is uh, less than an apostle, and uh, he's contemptible in speech, 2 Corinthians 10. Matter of fact, he's contemptible in appearance. And so, I mean, so painfully harmful things are being said to a church that he birthed. And that he uh, suffered to plant. And so throughout this book, 
Uh, many a pastor, many a pastoral book has been written on the sufferings of ministry, and they've used, used Second Corinthians. The issue is, why didn't he quit? Why don't you just quit? You don't have to put up with the Corinthians. You don't have to put up with being stoned. You don't have to be a stone, not like we use it, friend, real stones. You don't have to put up with being beat up. You don't have to put up with holding on to a log in the Mediterranean for three days and three nights. If you read chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 11, you say only an idiot would keep up at a vocation in which this kind of suffering, criticism, and pain exists. What motivated such ministry? What are the reasons that kept Paul going? And maybe we can borrow from those very same reasons and motives for why you should continue. Because you may want to throw in the towel. You may teach a class for four weeks and said, I don't have time to take care of brats. I got more things to do with my time than serving around here. Serving anywhere. You get criticism. You get this. You get that. I barely finished my sermon and a woman came up to tell me off about what she didn't like about it. So, why do I put up with that? Well, that's so minute. It's a poor Poor comparison to this apostle. Four reasons I see in this chapter for his ministry and why he doesn't throw in the towel. First one is he fears the Lord. Look at verse 11. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now, the fear is born out of, no doubt, verse 10. I must stand before the judge ultimately for everything I do. All my ministry, all my efforts, all my motives are going to appear before him. There's no hiding place. And I tremble at the thought, I must give account to him who called me on the Damascus Road. Not before church board, not before a congregation, but before the Lord of the church. He will evaluate me. And he's going to evaluate what I've done since he called me his own. He's going to evaluate me. I fear him. I fear him. Now, just to get a handle on this idea, I don't think many people know. It's all over the place. Proverbs 1.7, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. But the phrase came back all the way to the patriarchal period. And Walter Kaiser, uh, Old Testament theology, gives a beautiful summary of what it meant. God's normative word from Mount Sinai to all Israel is directed towards the same goal that he had set for the patriarchs. Fear of God, which produced obedience through trust in God's promises, God's word. He goes on to quote Deuteronomy 4, chapter 5, 6, 2, 6, 13, 24, 8, 6, 10, 12, 10, 20, 13, 4, on and on. Fear of the Lord was not some worked up feeling, 
But it was the result of hearing, learning, and responding to God's word. The fear of the Lord went hand in hand with, these were like synonyms, keeping his commands, walking after him, serving him, loving him, cleaving to him. And here Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, I hold him in such reverential awe. I've heard his voice. I have received him. I saw him on the Damascus road. I've come to love him. I've come to obey him. I've come to serve him. I've come to say, I am the servant. You are the master. I know the fear of the Lord. God is not a rabbit's foot. He is an awesome I am God. Not an I was God, an I am God. I fear him. Reading a book by Mark Sayers, talking about the disappearance of the church. He's talking about, we talk about young people leaving the church as though it's a new phenomenon. It's been going on for years, and it will continue as the West uh, goes atheistic and throws God out. There's not a thing you're going to do about it. He says, uh, atheists in London have started 450 churches. It's a new kind of church, and they've got 450 in London, and they're going worldwide. And, And what it is... It's basically church without God because they like the potlucks. Uh, they like free donuts. They, they like community. They like being for, for the social gathering, the people aspect of it. And they said, we're just like a church. We meet at certain times. Uh, we gather. They probably took collections for maybe uh, certain causes, whatever. But it's a whole new brand. We're a church. We just happen to believe in God talk is not in the place. There's no Bible in the place. There's no Jesus in the place. There's none of God in it, but we are a church. And he goes on to say, much of the church in America has godless Christianity. Uh, Because the atheism in our culture is subtle. It goes this way. There is no longer a, what you would call a theocentric sinner that says, God is the core of justice, ethics, morals. Uh, Any God reference has been eliminated, and in its place we have put man-centeredness. The most important thing, and not just man-centeredness, you-centeredness. It's moved in if it doesn't meet my specification, if it's not bring me pleasure if it does not all this kind of meism I me my uh, I don't want it because I'm living for self and that is the new atheism and it's totally legitimate and it feels good it's not saying I uh, oh I'm like one of those radical atheists no no I just uh, my world revolves around me what does the living God have to do with what I do what in the world does God have to say to me I am the master of my own fate. I will not go to a church that preaches the word of God. I will not go to a church that doesn't say what what I want to hear. In the last days, Timothy, know this will happen, for they will produce teachers that know how to itch the ear. Now, he said that 2,000 years ago. Do you think it's been fulfilled? You're a minority camp, by the way. We're a minority. And 
unless you and I have a part in seeing a new generation saved, we are destined to close because we, be, we will be selling the building and get out of the church business because our kind of Christianity may not be acceptable. But I plan to go to my grave having a church where I fear God, where God speaks, where what God says matters, and not what man is. Man shall not run me. If I should seek to please men, I would cease to be the servant of God. Paul said, we fear the living God. We're doing our ministry not because of you Corinthians. We're doing our ministry not because of Jesus. We're not doing our ministry because we're immune from criticism, stones, beatings, rejection. We do it because Christ told me when he saved me, you will suffer great things, Paul. And I said, yes, sir, I'm at your command. That's why you have to minister or you will throw in the towel. My father used to talk about iron workers and drag-up artists. And the drag-up artists would be guys hanging out in the local iron workers hall in Oakland. And maybe they'd been out of work for some times. But a lot of times when the guys hang out there, they're playing cards all day, smoking, maybe having a drink. Boom, they get called to a job. Drag up artist. Goes out. Sees, as my father did, a greasy job. Maybe a lot of grease on it. Going to be kind of hard on your wardrobe. Uh, A lot of timbers that they'd have to stack them for cranes and balancing the crane. There's going to be a lot of bull work, they would call it. A lot of grunt work and everything. And a guy would come out there and say, oh, oh, no, uh, I'll stay till noon. Write me up. I'm looking for an easier job. And they called them drag-up artists. When they found out there's some work to it, they bailed out. I'm going back to the hall. I just soon play poker as a way through all this. Even if I don't bring home any money. There's a lot of drag-up artists in the church. The moment they find out it takes work to prepare a lesson. It takes work to be there to help in Awana. It takes work to share the gospel. It takes work and sweat to have a worship choir, to be in the band. It takes work to be an usher. It takes work to be a giver. It takes work. Friend, we're going to do like Winston. We offer you blood, sweat, and tears, but we will not abdicate to a lazy, godless Christianity that you don't tell me what to do. Well, what, who are you telling what to do? Paul said, I, I fear God. What he says, I will do. In verse 14, he said, Besides that, the love of Christ constrains me that if he would die for all, I should preach to all. I should go to all. I should try to reach everyone that he died for. And his love for me is constraining me. It, it's uh, pressuring me. I, I'm under constraint. I, uh, his love keeps pushing me out of my comfort zone keeps pushing me through the stones and the beatings. I mean, chapter 11 is, is appalling. No man should have survived what he went through there. But he's saying, I keep going because the love of God in me 
constrains me to go to the Gentile world, the most unlikely people that a rabbinic Jew would ever want to be with. We don't even eat with the Gentiles, let alone go and live among them and use my leather trade and my tent-making trade. I will employ myself that I might reach a people I was taught all my life to hate. Why? I believe God died for Irishmen, for Italians like Cornelius. I believe he died for Germanic people. I believe he died for those in Africa. I believe he died for all I will preach to all because I feel constrained. I'm constrained with it. A heartbreaking chapter is chapter 6 where he starts telling the Corinthians, uh, you don't love me. You don't like me because you're constricted within. And it's a Greek word to crowd the intestines with gas, basically, that there's no breathing room, there's no space. And he says, you, uh, I don't find any problem loving you Corinthians, but I find that you're cramped, strained to love me. And I actually had a man use that to me as he said, you know what? I'm no longer your friend. And he said, do you want me to tell you why? And I said, well, I don't know that I want to know why, but go ahead. He said, well, one thing, he said, at one time you had everything I wanted, and I think I've got all of it that I I need. So he said, you no longer bring to me the things I need. And so, okay. And then he said, and I've lived with 2 Corinthians 6. I'm strained to love you. It's a strain for me to love you because my heart is constricted about you. I used to love you. I used to get so much from you. This is an honest... There's nobody told me about this man's telling me. He said, it's a strain for me to love you. But I've noticed through the relationship you keep loving me back. I said, well, it's not a strain to me when I'm right with God. And here the... Apostle saying, I'm compelled to tell you because the love of God that provided the cross and brought a Savior from the third world and came down to the ghetto of this earth and the outhouse of this earth, to quote a Luther, to the mess of this earth, to bring me into my shame, into my world of chaos. If the God of the universe could so love me that much to bring him, that same love has been poured out in my heart so that I'm willing to pass it on. That's what he's saying. The reason evangelism doesn't take place is our hearts have shrunk. The reason we don't share is, uh, you know, when you don't want to share about how beautiful this gal you're going to marry, there's something wrong in the relationship. When you no longer have that compulsion to share that good news. I love the story of when uh, Moody went with Ira Sankey to England. And, of course, Moody was a Chicago salesman, a shoe salesman, went there and he slaughtered English. Uh, He was just a Midwestern, as it were, country boy compared to the finesse and the station of the English people. But nevertheless, he he had invitations to go to England and he went. Ira Sankey would sing the 99 and men would wipe their eyes because it was such a moving, moving song. While he was there, 
a preacher, an English preacher came up to him, happened to be very thin, kind of a bony maroney. And uh, I grew up on that song. And uh, uh, was beardless. And that was quite a thing. In that day, if you were beardless, you were considered feminine or not quite masculine enough. Because Spurgeon had the heavy beard, Moody did, and that was kind of a mark of masculinity, and that's why Grant has grown his beard, see? <laughs> he represents Duck Dynasty now. And uh, this preacher asked Moody, he said, uh, hey, I want to go to America, and uh, would I be able to preach for you? And uh, Moody then kind of put on the spot, oh, yeah, just let, let us know if, if you ever get there. And like, this won't happen. You know, a lot of guys want to preach for you or ask, hey, would you have me over? And he said, yeah, oh, yeah. He never expected him to come, but he did. When he landed in New York, he sent him a telegram and said, I'm headed for Chicago, and I look forward to speaking for you. Moody... Uh, carefully arranged his schedule so that he'd be out of town. And he went to another speaking engagement so that he could tell him, I, I won't be in town. But then he decided, well, I won't be. I'll let him do the midweek Bible study. You know, that's when just the elect few come. I'll, I'll let him on then. Well, sure enough, he showed up in town, told the deacons, let him teach Wednesday night, and okay, fine. He comes back on Saturday, and he's asking his wife, well, uh, how did the Englishman do? She said, uh, well, he's preached every night since you've been gone. He said, what? He said, they love him. They, and he said, well, what's he preaching on? He said, well, every night it's John three sixteen. He said, every night? He said, every night? As a matter of fact, the deacons have booked him to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Moody said, whoa, what's going on? And his wife said, he said, well, well what's so different about him than me? He said, well, you seem to have used the Bible as an ammunition depot where you run to and you hurl bombs at people. You use the Bible like ammunition to mow people down. He keeps telling people God loves them, and they melt. Moody says to himself, I got to hear this. I got to hear this. He went there and sat through the meetings on Sunday, in which Sunday morning he preached John 3.16. That night he preached John 3.16. People were being saved in every service. Saints were being melted every service. And uh, Moody said, my life was forever changed hearing the skinny, beardless preacher preach the immeasurable love of God so that people were melted every night. Paul says, God's love for me constrains me to love you and to tell you about that love. What about us? Have we lost our message? It's amazing how much bad news you go just going to church. When God's people don't know what to do, they murmur. 
Israelites said, we don't like Moses. We don't like manna. Uh, we, uh, the cloud's kind of nice. We do get a shade. And we do need some heat at night. But we don't like where we are. We don't like the journey. We don't like what God is doing. We're going to murmur. And so all of a sudden you got two men named Joshua and Caleb with a bunch of uh, another generation, nieces uh, and nephews. And, and, the, and, and the kids are saying, man, I wish mama could be going across with us. And I wish daddy could be here. He said, well, God had to kill them because they'd rather murmur than believe me. We're the only two of the generation that will go across. Because the others murmured themselves to death. Is the love of God constraining us about anything? Or have we learned to be critics, gripes, and negative? Is there any good news left? And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855 833 9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also be able to find out more about Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, who we are, what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.